All righty, Grace Church, Medina East Campus, 11 o'clock service. How are you guys doing today? Oh! All right, well, my name is Dan, and I'm the, the student ministries guy here at the Medina East Campus. So me and my wife, Charlie, we lead student ministries. So if you or anybody you know is in 6th through 12th grade, uh, come up to me after the service. I'd love to get a chance to get to know you. I, I got any high schoolers up in here today? Where's my, where's my people at? I see Katie. Uh, Thai, Braden, woo woo! <laughs> Student ministry's taking over. <laughs> nah. Man, I'm just so grateful and excited to be here today. I just, uh, this is a sweet, uh, a sweet passage of scripture that we're gonna get into today. So just genuine, I'm just gonna lay out all my cards right out on the table and tell you guys I'm super hyped up to, to share with you. So uh, like Tony said, man, if you're a first time guest, I, I hope I didn't weird you out too bad. <laughs> Start out by weirding you out too bad, but we just love you and we're grateful you're here. So welcome if it's your first time. We love you, and we're, and we're grateful you're here. I'm just going to hop right in. We're in a series called Resolve, and we're talking all about conflict resolution, all right? And so we're looking at what does it mean for a person who follows Jesus to engage with a, a, a kind of different way to resolve conflict, right? And we know, obviously, not everybody in this room follows Jesus, and if you're just investigating that, we just, again, are so grateful that you're here. But it's a little bit of an insider conversation uh, in, in the New Testament gospel of Matthew, where Jesus, for this whole chapter, lays out what it looks like for a follower of Jesus uh, to resolve conflict. And so, if you want to go ahead and grab your Bible and get to Matthew 18, or open up uh, an app or whatever, you can go ahead and get to, to Matthew 18. And if you're a little bit newer to the Bible, Matthew is in the New Testament. And so your Bible is divided into two kind of big main sections. You got the Old Testament in the front and the New Testament uh, in the back. And Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. You can find it about two-thirds of the way in. Uh, the big numbers are the chapters. So chapter 18 is where we're going. All right? And if you don't have a Bible, if you, if you don't have one with you, you can grab one of the black Bibles like uh, in the chair in front of you or beneath you and get to Matthew 18 on chapter... Uh, Matthew 18 on page six, uh, 688 in those black Bibles. And we also say every week, like if you don't have a Bible and you just own a cop, don't own a copy of God's word, you can go ahead and take that Bible and make it a gift from us to you. I think it's super duper important that you have a copy of God's word. And there's really small print in there and it says that if you take a black Bible, you instantaneously become my personal best friend. So if you need a best friend, you know, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to make that commitment so we can do it. All right. As you're turning there to Matthew 18, I just want to tell you guys a quick story about a conflict that occurred recently uh, in my life to give you a little insider scoop on, on the way that I deal with conflict. All right? And so I'm going to show you guys a picture uh, of an apartment that me and my wife used to live in and a conflict that occurred there. So here is a photo. Well, it's actually, to be honest, it's not a photograph. It's an artist's rendering of, uh, of where we used to stay. And so we lived in Highland Square in Akron in the second floor apartment. Uh, and so you can see here we've got... Uh, like a parking lot, and we've got like a walkway up to the front and up to the back and kind of a shaded area there and a big open field. And so I just want to take one second uh, to kind of highlight some of the amenities of this estate. And here they are. There was a mailbox. <laughs> so I could go up and check the mail, which was a fantastic feature of this estate. Also, like I said, big open field, and so I could run around and kind of frolic like a gazelle and soak in the sunshine there in the front and throw a Frisbee around with my boys, enjoy sports. I have a, a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old, two, two young strapping buckaroos who like to 
throw a ball around from time to time. We also had picnics in the back and could enjoy the shade, and we built a fort in the back. And so we had this access to all these different areas uh, of kind of domestic harmony and bliss, right? So we enjoyed this estate, second floor apartment. Everything was totally legit, uptight, out of sight, until one day something started to happen. A conflict arose in our, in our lives. And so I want you guys to come with me, to engage with me for one moment and imagine that you're there with me <laughs> at this apartment. So I want you to close your eyes and imagine that you're asleep, okay, in this second floor apartment. And you're sleeping soundly and it's maybe approximately two in the morning and you start to hear something well up under the floorboards. Something, you're asleep. Uh, all right. Turn it off. Shish. 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 I don't want to ride the Ferris wheel. Uh, or whatever. Okay, and so obviously, <laughs> what had happened was that our neighbor, <laughs> our neighbor downstairs was dropping the funky beats. Dropping the funky beats pretty loud, 2 a.m., all right? Hashtag conflict, right? This is a bummer because I like to sleep at 2 a.m., you know, and my neighbor likes to get funky. And so we were like, what are we going to do? Oh, my gosh, this is terrible. And trying to really figure it out. And so I'm like, okay, we got to resolve this conflict. And so the following morning, I actually saw, <laughs> I saw my neighbor outside. And so I'll show you guys a quick picture of my neighbor standing outside. There he is. <laughs> and I'm like, I see him, and I'm like kind of groggy and bummed out. But I'm like, all right, I'm going to go resolve conflict with this guy. I got to get up, get up in his grill in a loving way and say, hey, man. Can we get it together here? And so I go outside, and then I interact with them. And I'm just like, hey, man, I don't know if you know this or not, but 2 a.m., you, you were playing some pretty loud music, kind of thumping the, thumping the bass. I was wondering if maybe we could kind of come to some kind of resolution, right? And he was like, oh, my gosh, I'm sorry, man, that sucks. I, yeah, I'll, I'll take care of that, and I'll, and I'll keep it down, right? And so that was great. We resolved, <laughs> we resolved this conflict, and I was then able to enjoy all of the amenities of the estate yet again. And so I could frolic out in the sun like, like a gazelle, and he would actually join me. We would hold hands and frolic. That's not true. All right, and so, but the, here's the thing. The, to to kind of make, make a long story short, this conflict kept on happening, right, again and again. So he would, he would drop the beat. I would go try and resolve. and be like, man, you're really killing me. I would show him, like, look, I, I'm, I have earplugs I'm really trying to go for. Here, can I, can I give you some, uh, some, like, earphones? Maybe we can try and work through this. And eventually, over time, this conflict kept occurring and occurring. And it got to the point where in my heart and in my mind, I was like, you know what? I actually do not want to resolve this conflict anymore. I'm sick and frustrated with this. This is actually hurting me. It's affecting my ability to engage with my wife because I come home and I'm all frustrated that he might play his music again late at night. And so I, a, a kind of root of bitterness started to occur in my heart and I started to reject the, 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 the value and the benefit of conflict resolution. And as a consequence of that, right, as a consequence of uh, a decision to not resolve conflict, when I saw him outside, I wasn't able to access the things that had been so, so positive and so valuable and healthy in my life, right? I was, I was rendered incapable of accessing these things because of the unresolved conflict that occurred uh, between me and my downstairs neighbor. Does that make sense to you guys? Like, I, I wasn't able to engage with all this other stuff because of this bitterness that I had toward that guy. And so I was incapable. I was, like, bound and unable to, to access uh, the things in my life that were valuable. 
And obviously, you know, I know this series uh, in Matthew 18, Conflict Resolution, over the past couple of months has been a really heavy-duty and intense uh, series. And I think as I look around the room, there's probably uh, a lot of conflicts that are coming to, into your minds and into your hearts. And so uh, I think that loud music is kind of a silly example, right? I think a lot of you have experienced pain in some really significant ways. And even through this whole series, you've been trying to work through, like, man, yeah, but dude, you don't know my story. You, okay, you know. Okay, I hear this teaching and I hear what you're saying about resolving conflict, but man, you don't know how, how deep the pain goes, right? And I think for some of you, you're even rendered incapable of accessing uh, emotional availability, right? There might be areas in your life or, or, or relationships where you're like, dude, I can't even reach out and engage with my family or with my friends or with my neighbor because of the way that they've, they've hurt me. And I want to go to the birthday party or I want to go out, you know, a group of people are going out to lunch today after church, but I don't know if I can go because I've been hurt and I can't resolve this conflict that's still in my heart. Or maybe even into physical intimacy, like I'm not able to really be affectionate and engage with my spouse because this hurt or this pain keeps coming to my mind, right? And I, and I can't resolve this conflict, and I'm, and I'm rendered incapable of accessing that, right? And I think that for as many people as there are in this room, there are as many different types of, of conflict that need to be resolved. And I think the main point that I'm trying to say, even though there's a million different examples uh, of conflict that we're all facing, the main point is this. That unresolved conflict, an inability to uh, engage with the beauty and the liberation of conflict resolution, it renders, it renders us incapable of accessing the things that are so valuable and healthy and necessary and important in our lives, right? And so what I'd like for you guys to do, even though it's, I'm sure this has been a really heavy-duty series for you, is to at this moment think to yourself, man, how does this apply to me personally? To, to really take a step and to say, you know what, you're right. There is something in my life right now. There's a person or there's a situation that I've been thinking about through this whole series. Even as you're talking about conflict resolution and the pain that somebody has caused me, I can think of somebody in particular that I need to resolve a conflict with or that I, I don't know if I have what it takes to forgive that person, right? Because we've said in this series, man, unresolved conflict is costing us. And it's costing us personally and our ability to, to think clearly about who we are it's costing us relationally in our ability to engage with other people, and, and it's costing us spiritually. Unresolved conflict is interfering with our capacity to understand who God is. And so it's very important that you, in this moment, really engage with this idea of conflict resolution as we, as we go. And so I would ask you, I would challenge you and ask you to think clearly about, man, how does this apply to my heart and to my life and to the, and to the conflicts that I've faced, okay? It's a heavy duty. We're on the heavy duty, heavy jelly train, so toot, toot. The, train, the heavy train is leaving the station into heavy land. Here we go. Here it is. Okay, and so we've been in this series, like I said, Matthew 18, and we've gone through these steps, and just to kind of reiterate, here they are. This is what Jesus says in, in Matthew 18 about how people who follow Christ are to resolve conflict. And he says that step one, pretty simple, humble yourself. Think clearly about who you are and, and, and about who God is and, and really the value of, of his, his grace and his love to humble yourself as a follower of Christ. And then to remove logs, to, to take out the logs so that you can see clearly to identify the situations in your life and how to navigate those. And then a huge, to be totally honest with you guys, a huge one for me is step three, to redefine the win. To say, I'm not just trying to win a debate. I'm not just trying to win an argument or to prove my point. I'm trying to redefine the win and to win the relationship. 
and to, and to protect the, the harmony of my family or the relationships at school or at work. Redefine the win. It's not just to win an argument. It's to win a relationship. And then to overlook when possible, to say, you know what? Now that I have thought about this clearly, it's not really that big of a deal. I can just let it go and we'll be all right to live in harmony. But then after these first four steps are taken very seriously as a follower of Christ, for real, to at that point, if, if the conflict is still there, to go to the person and to say, you know what? In humility and in grace and in gentleness, I, I, you know, I, this thing that, that has occurred in our relationship has, has hurt me and I want to, let's work through it together. And we've said that at step five, if it really gets to step five, that the overwhelming majority of conflict is resolved right in that spot. But if by chance, if there's a small chance that it, that it still persists and you're still trying to work through it, to then widen the circle and involve uh, a few uh, people who love you and who love the third party and who love Jesus and engage uh, in, a, in a loving and gentle conversation. And then finally, we said that step seven would be to take it uh, to the church and to say, wow, we really want to involve somebody, maybe a life group leader or somebody uh, as kind of a leader from the church to help us engage with what it looks like to resolve conflict. And so this sounds really cool, right? It sounds like, wow, that's a really good plan of attack, and we can go ahead and engage with that. But, you know, how, how, does this really apply? How does, how does this really apply in real life? And the thing is, as Jesus is giving us this teaching in Matthew 18, he's not just speaking, uh, like, it, in, alone in a room somewhere and writing out some abstract concept, of, like, oh, this would be an ideal way to do it. He's actually talking to a group of people, to his followers, to, to his disciples, and so he's laying, this, he's laying this teaching before people who have, just like everybody in this room, experienced real pain and real uh, conflict and, and, and real, a really, you know, this, this teaching is probably really cutting into the hearts and to the minds of the people that he's teaching this to. And I think that you can see uh, in the response that one of the disciples, Peter, uh, makes to this teaching that, man, he's really wrestling with how to apply this to his actual real life. And so here's what Peter says in response to this teaching that God that Jesus, God in the flesh, gives to us. Peter comes to Jesus after this teaching has been laid out, and he says, Lord, okay, this is an interesting concept, and I can see the value in resolving conflict, obviously, but how many times, how many times shall I forgive? How many times shall I, shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And then he says, up to seven? Up to seven times, Jesus? And so I think the question that, that, that Peter's really asking is like, look, Okay, I, I'm hearing your teaching, and that's very good, but, but man, you don't know, you don't know the, the real depth of my pain, and you don't know that I really am struggling with this, with this problem that's real in my heart and in my life. This isn't just an abstract concept. I'm dealing with a person or with a real conflict in my life. How many times, how many times do I have to do this, Jesus? And so I think for me, I would ask that question, like, I've forgiven this person, I've resolved the conflict, but man... It's getting harder, and, and how do I do this? And how do I be a person who continues to resolve conflict, right? And so here's what Jesus responds. This is really powerful, you guys. Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, not seven times, Peter, but 77. Not seven, but 77. And at first glance, you're like, oh, okay, so then Peter just busts out his abacus, and he's like, that's cool, because me and Tom, he, Thomas keeps stealing my figs, and he's up to like 74, so we're almost there. I can just, oh, man, three more times, Thomas, and you're, you're out of luck, or whatever. Do you steal figs? I don't know. How would you even steal a fig? I don't know. Anyway, so Jesus says, not seven times, Peter, 77. 
And the point that Jesus is trying to make, okay, as a master storyteller, he's in the presence of his disciples, and he's responding to a real, you, could, you can imagine that they're having this real eye-to-eye conversation, and Peter is like, how many times? How many times do I do this? Seven? Jesus says not seven, but 77 times. And this is actually a reference. The only other time in the entire Bible that this progression, not seven, but 77 times, occurs is from the mouth of a guy by the name of Lamech. And Lamech is a character in the Old Testament book of Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 4, we meet this dude, Lamech, and his whole deal is absolute, unending, intentional violence and aggression toward anybody that messes with him at all. And so in Genesis 4, Lamech says, I'll tell you guys the deal. In Hebrew poetry, he says, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for insulting me. My vengeance is not seven times, but 77 times. I am Lamech, the vengeful, the aggressive, unforgiving, epitome of unforgiveness. Lamech uh, kind of almost becomes um, the ideal of an unending pursuit of of unforgiveness. Lamech is the personified refusal to forgive. And he says, I am such an epitome of unforgiveness that I exact judgment not to the seventh, but to the 77th. So Lamech is saying, there is no, absolutely no end to my violence and to my aggression. He's the picture of the worldly system in which we judge and, and hold people accountable and nitpick. Right? And so when Jesus responds to Peter's question, dude, how many times do I do this? And Jesus says, well, you remember Lamech back in the Old Testament? You remember Bible school, Peter? Remember Lamech? Not seven times, but 77. We are to become Lamech in reverse. We are to never end in our pursuit of the ideal, but not of vengeance, of forgiveness. And so there is an unlimited, what Jesus is laying out in this, not seven, but 77, is an unlimited repetition of conflict resolution, it never ends. And so we come to step eight in our series in conflict resolution, and step eight, the final step as we work through what it looks like to follow Jesus and resolve conflict is repeat. We do the steps, and then another, another conflict occurs, and we repeat, and we become changed into people who are able to resolve conflict without end, okay? And so I think at that moment, the question again, might be, well, dude, how many times do, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but how is it possible to become a person that, that does it at that level, to, to go over and over again and to completely embrace forgiveness without end? How is that possible? And again, I think Jesus, as the master teacher and as the master storyteller, engaging with uh, his, his audience, engaging with his disciples in this moment, knows the perfect thing to do to explain the way that uh, they are to have the resource requisite to to. Uh, to engage with conflict resolution at that level. And so he tells a story. He tells a parable. And I'll tell you guys, again, this is one of the most, th- this week as I've prepared, studying this, this parable has really uh, cut pretty deeply into my heart. And so I just want to be completely open and honest and like vulnerable with you guys. It, it's really had a profound uh, impact and effect on me. And so uh, I just want to share that with you. And so here, here's what he says, okay? Jesus explains how it's possible to resolve conflict at this level. And he says, therefore, Peter, this is how we do it. This is how we are able to become people who pursue conflict resolution over and over and repeat, step eight, repeat. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to sell accounts with his servants. And you're like, what? 
And then he says, therefore, the word therefore is really there to kind of indicate that Jesus is about to explain how it's possible. He's like, the reason why I'm about to tell you this story is so that you can understand the thing that I previously told you. I'm about to explain how it's possible to forgive without end. And then he says, the kingdom of heaven. And so he indicates to Peter and he indicates to us in this moment that there's this kingdom. And it's the kingdom in which the rule and the reign of the merciful God and king of the universe is supreme. This is the opposite of the worldly system in which the, the kind of mentality that Lamech, that Lamech shows is, is the kind of thing that we do. Okay, we don't, we don't pursue violence and, and, ve- and vengeful aggression. We pursue peace and love. This is an upside-down kingdom. Jesus even pr- tells his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the primary teaching of Jesus as he walked this earth was, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is here among you, and it's a different system. And we are to engage with that as people who are changed by the reality of this kingdom coming. Okay, and he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven, the, 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 different, the different system of thought, is like a king. So there is a king, and there is a kingdom. And this king, in this kingdom, wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, right, as he wanted to get back what was owed to him, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And some of you probably in in your translations might have 10,000 talents. And and it's just an old word that means, uh, it's like a a measurement. And so a, a talent of gold would have been equivalent to 20 years, 20 years of wages for a common laborer. And so Jesus is giving this teaching to a bunch of people who had been blue collar workers and they, and they knew the value of a talent of gold. 20 years of my life working. And he says that amount times 10,000. 10,000 bags of gold. And he says there was this guy who owed an incalculable sum. As Jesus is telling this story, he's drawing this picture of a laughable and incalculable sum of money that this dude owed to a king, Okay? And since he was not able to pay, yeah, obviously because you don't pay back a a bajillion dollars. It's like a sum that is impossible to pay back. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And so we see here in this passage that there is a conflict that needs to be resolved. And the conflict is between a man who owes more than he can possibly pay. He owes an incalculable sum to a king, right? And the conflict is that because he's not able to pay it back, because it is impossible to resolve this conflict, that something's gonna happen. And what's gonna happen is that he and his wife and his children, everything that he holds valuable and important in his life, everything that he has will be sold. And so the consequence of this inability to resolve conflict is that he's going to be uh, completely sold into slavery and his life is over. Okay, and so the conflict is that he can't pay back, and he's gonna, his, his life is over. Right? The picture that we have here is of an absolutely impossible situation where there is no resolution even anywhere near in sight. Okay? He's unable to pay the debt. It's a dire situation for this guy. Okay? Terrible. And at this, at the prospect of this guy's life being over, as he stares over the cliff of the abyss of the rest of his life being totally ruined, He falls on his knees before the king. He falls on his knees before the king and all that he can say is, be patient with me. Be patient with me. He begged and then he says, and I'll pay back everything. 
But here's the deal. As Jesus is telling this story, right, as he's telling this story to these people who know how absurd it would even be to conceive of paying that, that sum back, they're like, yeah, right, man. This is, this is, this is laughable, and it's, and it's sad, and it's pitiful. This guy has absolutely no capacity to pay back 10,000 talents. Nobody does. It's a joke, right? And so it's a very sad uh, moment in, in this story. And so, again, Jesus, as a master storyteller, then takes a turn that would have been so unprecedented in this time, okay? Uh, he, he says something next that is really compelling and that has really been tearing me up for the past couple of weeks. And so, staring at this prospect of being sold into slavery without any possibility of, of paying it back, Jesus says this of the good king. He says, the servant's master took pity on him. And canceled the debt and let him go. The servant's master, for no other reason than that he was a compassionate and graceful king, had pity on him, canceled the incalculable debt that this man owed, and set him free. Right? And so for those of us in this room who follow Christ, right, who have made a decision to follow him, we know that, that this verse sounds a whole, a whole lot like the gospel. And the gospel is the good news of who Jesus is, the person and the work of Christ and what he's done. And, and the gospel is this, that there was a tremendous conflict that existed between God and man, right? That sin entered the world and severed our ability to have a relationship with God, but that Jesus in his love and in his grace and in his humility and in his perfection came to earth, lived a perfect life, died a criminal's death, nailed our debt to the cross, and set us free by the power of his resurrection. And that, and that we are recipients of an unimaginable, benevolent grace that cannot be calculated or tabulated. A, a laughable sum has been taken off of us as a consequence of what Jesus has done. And so when Jesus tells this story, right, when he, when he tells this story of a man who owes more than he possibly could ever pay back and that he has been forgiven this debt, the crowd, as he's teaching, would have been thinking, oh, my goodness, this guy must be elated. He must be overwhelmed and euphoric at the prospect of life that is now available to him as a consequence of this absurd debt that was just removed from, from his shoulders, right? This guy should be freaking out. You know, he's like about to get a gym membership and start going, he's like he's about to go vegan or something because he's so stoked, like, yes, I'm going to like delete my Facebook app and really get, you know, get a pedometer or something. But, or whatever people, I don't know if they, I don't think they had pedometers back then. So the point is, he should, right, engage with the reality of how powerful this, this freedom is that he just received, right? That's what you would think. He's about to go skip around and high five everybody he knows. That's what should happen. But we, we go on, the story continues, and Jesus, again, as a master storyteller, tells us what happens. He says, well, this is what happened. When that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants. When he went out of being forgiven an absurd debt, he went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. 100 silver coins. And the point here with 100 silver coins that Jesus is trying to make is that it is minuscule by comparison, okay? A it's, a, it's a bajillion versus peanuts, right? Minuscule by comparison. The, the illustration that Tony gave a, like a year ago when he taught through this passage, he took like 10, uh, like 20-pound bags of rice and put them on one side of a scale, and then he had 
a, a single grain of rice on the other. That's the, it's, it's just a joke. This guy was forgiven an absurd amount. And then he went out and got nitpickety about a bag of peanuts. And he grabbed this guy that owed him 100 silver coins. And he began to choke him. And he said, pay me back what you owe me. Right? He demanded. He said, I've killed a man for wounding me. A young man for insulting me. I take it not to the seventh, but to the 77th. Pay me back what you owe. Right? Which, again, the, the, the people who are listening to this story would have been like, oh my gosh, what is this guy doing? This is not right. This is absurd. And so his fellow servant, right, at this moment, as he is being judged for this minuscule by comparison amount, he fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me, be patient with me, and I'll pay it back. I'll pay it back. And in this moment, really, this unforgiving servant should remember that it was only moments ago when, he said, when these very same words came out of his mouth to this king, right? Except it was about a bajillion dollars instead of a bag of peanuts. And he should remember and still be filled with joy and gratitude that he was just set free. When he hears, be patient with me and I'll pay it back, it should call to his mind what just occurred in his life. But that's not what happens. He refused. And instead he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay, pay back the debt. And again, we see this theme uh, arise in this story where the result of unresolved conflict is bondage and, and a refusal to interact with the liberating power of this freedom that is so freely offered is that we wind up in jail, right? This ruins and fractures and breaks relationships. There is a... a, a a direct relationship between a refusal to, to forgive and to resolve conflict and being in bondage, right? And so we go on. And when the other servants saw what had happened, the people around watching this absurdity take place, they were outraged because this is, this is outrageous and absurd. And they went and they told their master everything that had happened. And they were like, dude, we, we saw what just happened and it is not right. This is, this is not right. Okay, and then I want you to kind of hone in on the, on the tone. Think clearly about the tone of Jesus as he's telling this story. When he knows that he's about to face the cross and he's about to cancel our debt, to cancel the debt of anybody who calls on his name and that he's going to endure an incredible uh, amount of suffering and pain in order to set us free from the 10,000 talents that we all owe. Right? As he tells this story, he calls the servant in. He's, Jesus says this master calls the servant in and just think, think about the tone of Christ in this moment. And he says, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt. I canceled all that debt of yours because, because you begged me to. And then this good king, right, this compassionate king who expressed the most absurd grace that has ever been expressed says this. He says this to the unforgiving servant. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Shouldn't you embrace the implications of what has just been done to you? Shouldn't you be liberated to, to forgive and to show mercy in this small and minuscule way compared with the absurd grace that has been shown to you? And I think for me, honestly, you guys, this, I, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty proud uh, and, and, and judgmental person. And so as I've read this, and I'm trying to get better and grow, you know, but as I've read this passage, I'm like, man, this, this has really been wrecking me, honestly. You're, you're looking at a guy who has been kind of raked over the coals this past week as I prepared for this message because, man, I think Jesus is asking this question 
of me and in the relationships in my life and in the conflict that I, that I have and I'm trying to work through, you know, I'm thinking, man, this is so annoying. This keeps happening. There's this pain and there's this particular nuance in this, in this relationship that is, is too complicated and is too frustrating and is too painful for me to resolve. And Jesus would look at me and he would say, dude, shouldn't you have mercy just as I had mercy on you? Shouldn't you engage with the power of the gospel that has been shown to you? And I think that's a really challenging, I mean, that's a haunting and challenging question for, for people who follow Christ, really. For me, it's been, it's been really heavy duty. And he goes on, and he says, really, I, I just can't, I, I wish I could have been there to hear and to see the emotion in, in, in Christ as he told this story. He says, in anger, his master handed him over. He says, okay, if that's, if that's how you want to roll, if that's the kingdom you want to live in, then, then this is how it rolls. He handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And again, in this story, we see this theme of unresolved conflict resulting in an absolute inability to engage with the possibilities of life, to be thrown into jail and to be incapable of accessing the things, to be, to, to, to be able to engage with the good things, right? Because this master obviously is a compassionate king, who, want, who out of the grace and out of the love of his heart wanted this guy to live and to flourish. He forgave 10,000 talents, right? That was his heart. But a, a refusal to engage with the implications of that and to make it true and active in the way that this, this unforgiving servant responded resulted in, in jail and in bondage and in an inability to, to access the good, the good and the positive things in life. And so the parable ends with Jesus, man, heavy duty, Heavy duty. He says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you thrown in jail. If you refuse to accept and embrace the liberating implications of the gospel, you'll be thrown into jail. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. And so at this moment in the story, man, it's like, wow, Heavy duty, heavy duty. Well, you know, what do we do? What do we do? And I think that this, these words here in the middle are become very real and alive to us, don't they? Unless you forgive. This is what's gonna happen. You're gonna be rendered incapable of accessing the good and the powerful and the good, th- you know, the good and the positive and the healthy things that God wants you to access. He wants to forgive you and he wants to set you free to, to live a life and to thrive and to flourish but you're not going to be able to do that. You're not gonna be free unless you forgive, right? And so I think that this, this concept of, of freedom uh, being accessed only through the, the working of grace in our hearts, that this concept is, is summed up pretty well by a, a quote uh, by a theologian whose name is Lewis Smedes. And Lewis Smedes puts it this way, I think he nails it right on the head. He says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner was you. The result of gospel-motivated conflict resolution is liberation, and it never ends. As we pursue Christ and understanding who he is and what he's done for us and embrace that and embrace uh, a mentality and a lifestyle of forgiveness and grace and conflict resolution, we are liberated. We are liberated to live the life that God wants for us, to engage in the good and the healthy and the positive things that he has laid out for us. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner was you.
And so I just kind of want to leave you guys with this. This is the clearest way I can possibly say it, right, is that Jesus is the good master, right, the good master who takes pity on us. For those of us in this room that follow Christ, this is us. We are the servant who has been forgiven the absurd debt of 10,000 talents. And as a consequence of that forgiveness, right, as a consequence of the gospel, we should embrace that and, be, and feel liberated and excited to, to walk in newness of life. And so I'm, I just want to challenge you guys. For those of you in this room who follow Christ, right, and like we say every week, if you don't follow him, you're just trying to figure it out, that is awesome. It's awesome that you're here and we love you and we hope that you feel welcomed and accepted. But for those of us in this room who follow Christ, I want you guys to know that we are liberated by the unmerited grace of a compassionate king. And as a consequence of that absurd transaction that occurred on the cross, we should embrace the liberating power of gospel-motivated conflict resolution in every area of our lives. Embrace it and let it work itself out in the, in the, in the relationships that you have and the conflict that you can think of right now with the person, with the spouse, with the, with the ex-husband or ex-wife, whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance that's so painful in your heart and is so real, embrace the liberating power of the gospel it's the only way to be free to access the things, the good and the powerful things that God wants for you, all right? And I'll leave you with this, that forgiveness is freedom. Forgiveness, there's a direct correlation in all of life to being uh, liberated, to, to access the things that are good and freedom. If you forgive, you set a prisoner free and you discover that the prisoner is you, right? And so for the follower of Christ in this room, embrace the liberating power of the gospel. Please do that. I'm begging you. You, you could be set free into new depths of relationship with God and to new harmony in your, in your relationships. Embrace the power of the gospel. Forgiveness is freedom. Forgiveness is freedom, right? And so as we've said in this whole series, you know, this is kind of an insider, an insider talk, right? This is, for, this is a discussion that we've had between people who, who follow Jesus, and it's really cool and interesting. And here's the thing I want to I tell you guys, all right? All right, it doesn't have to be an insider. It doesn't have to be an insider conversation, right? If you're here today and you've never made a decision uh, to follow Christ, if you're on the fence or you're investigating, this does not have to be uh, an insider conversation. You could be a part of this conversation. You could embrace the liberating power of the gospel right now. And again, I'll tell you what the gospel is and how it worked out in my life. I recognized, I finally came to an awareness as a consequence of some of the relationships that I had and some of the things that I had heard. Some of my friends brought me to church at various times or whatever, and I realized that God is love, that God is a God of love, and out of the love in his heart, he created humanity to have a relationship with him and to, and to engage in, in a way that, they, that, that humanity receives the love of God, but he also gave them a choice to respond to that love or to do their own thing and that humanity decided to, to sever that relationship and to define good and evil on their own. And that as a consequence of that sin, this concept of sin entered the world and it separated God and man and there was a conflict. And there was a conflict between God and man. The greatest conflict that has ever occurred is the conflict between God and man. And that Jesus came to earth to resolve that conflict. Christ took on flesh, died a criminal's death, nailed our debt to the cross and set us free. And so in order to, to make a decision to follow Christ, all you have to do is recognize that that's true of you. And in genuine 
truth to just say, you know what, Christ, I've heard enough. I've heard enough, you know, I've heard enough. I don't know everything perfectly, and I don't, there's a lot of stuff I don't understand, but I believe that you are God, and I believe that I am not God, and that I have sinned. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory uh, of God, and I'm in the all category, Lord, and that there's something, there's some kind of stain in my heart that needs to be forgiven, and I recognize that, and I confess it, and I embrace the forgiveness that is freely offered to you, that, that is freely offered to me by your, by your grace. And so it's by grace that I am saved through faith. I have faith that your, the work on the cross applies to me. It's by faith that you've been saved through grace. Or it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves. It's the gift. It's a free gift and it's offered to you. And you can embrace it right now. And so I challenge you and I beg you. And I'm pleading with you. If you haven't ever made a decision to follow Christ, you know, it's February 18th, 2018 right now, today. And today could be, February 18th could be the day when you made the decision to be liberated from the greatest conflict that has ever occurred in your life, the conflict between you and God. You could be redeemed. You could be set free right now. And so I think today is a good day to make that decision. If you haven't made it, I encourage you and I beg you and I implore you to make that decision today. All right? So I'm going to invite the band up, the rock and roll band. And as they make their way up, I just want to challenge you guys to imagine, okay, as a whole, as a whole group of people in this room, Imagine what it could look like to embrace the, 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 the possibilities of a gospel-motivated conflict resolution in our marriages, in our schools, in our community, with the people we know. And imagine what it could look like to be a group of people, a body of people who pursue love and grace and reconciliation and, and, and harmony in our relationships. This group of people right here in this room right now could have such a profound uh, and compelling impact on our world and on our society if we would embrace the love and the forgiveness of Christ and then apply that love and that forgiveness and the implications of that grace into every different avenue and aspect of our lives. And so I challenge you again, and I beg you and I plead with you to genuinely engage with the unlimited liberating power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Embrace it, please. So I'm gonna pray. And then we're going to rock and roll. All right. Lord God, you are the king of, of glory and of grace. And I praise your name right now, Father, as a person who totally doesn't have it together at all and that owes you more than I could possibly pay, but as a person who's been forgiven of that debt by your death on a cross and by your resurrection, you have drawn me in to, to a community of people who have been forgiven. It's, 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 it's laughable. That transaction is outrageous, and I praise you and thank you that you make that available to everybody in this room. Lord, everybody in this room has the potential to embrace the unmerited favor of a compassionate king right now. And so I beg you, Holy Spirit, to move on the hearts and on the minds of the people in this room to make a step toward you, to make a step toward conflict resolution, or to make a step toward gospel-motivated liberation, please. It's by, it's by your forgiveness and by your death on a cross, Lord, that we are set free. And so I just beg you to, to make that clear and true. As we worship and as we celebrate the power of who you are, Lord, I just ask that you liberate us into new realms uh, of freedom and joy and forgiveness. It is, it is for freedom that we are set free, and I praise your holy and righteous name for making that available to us. You are the king, for real. Amen.